Get Your House in Order, by Brother Tim Aaron. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order. For you shall die, you shall not recover. 2 Kings 22 verse 1, ESV. Brother Tim Aaron brings the word of God for the end time. You can find more information about Brother Tim Aaron at www.thiefinthenightministries.com. And here is Brother Tim Aaron. Glory to glory to glory to God. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you for tuning in to another broadcast of Get Your House in Order. I'm your host, Tim Aaron. Hopefully you have been enjoying the previous broadcast, the previous discussions and teachings and lessons uh, concerning the Bible, the Word of God. Um, once again, I humbly say that this ministry does its best to keep it 100% Bible. <clears throat> now, I know a lot of ministries claim to do that, but they don't. So that's why I use the word try. I believe it is a humble, humbling word. And it and it recognizes how we can get caught up in pride and uh, and and really be uh, not teaching the word of God purely and accurately. Uh, because we just a lot of times don't respect the power of the devil and what he is, has accomplished over the years and is still accomplishing. <clears throat> and I believe it's, uh, revelations chapter 12 and 13, um, where, uh, Satan is said to have deceived the whole world. You know, Satan is his deception abilities must be respected. You know, he has been able to pull the wool over our eyes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Of course, we know what happened in the garden with the forbidden fruit. Even up to this day, he is the deceiver of the whole world. The Bible says so at some point we have to quit being arrogant. We have to quit being proud. And we have to recognize that we have to overcome uh, Satan's deceptions, his lies, his tricks, you know, um, his agendas, you know, because they are they are real and they are formidable. And uh, you will not be able to overcome Satan's deception unless you get into the word of God and unless you respect the word of God properly. You know, that's what it means to fear God. It means to respect him, not play games with him, not play games with his word, not not do it, not become a Christian and get into the word just because it's cute. You know, that kind of stuff. But it, you have to approach the word of God serious and respectfully. And make it number one priority. You know, once you once you do that, then I begin, I believe the Holy Spirit will begin to work with you and begin to show you things and you can't quench the spirit. You know, a lot of times we will quench the spirit because what the Holy Spirit 
is beginning to show us doesn't line up with tradition and culture, doesn't line up with popular opinion, you know, so we will dismiss it because we don't want to go down that road and become black sheep, okay, or excommunicated because we are taking a stand for something that is not popular, you know, and then the Holy Spirit will get offended and then quit bringing truth our way. So... That's why I, I say I humbly try to keep it 100% Bible because I understand Satan is very good at what he does. So uh, the way I try to keep it 100% Bible is interpret interpret scripture by scripture. Uh, I don't use the Webster's Dictionary to define the Bible. You know, to me, that's ludicrous. The Webster's Dictionary printed in the uh, early 1900s, we know with much culture, cult culture and tradition wrapped up in the definitions. So uh, you have to try to your best to allow the Bible to interpret the Bible. And that is the safest way to get understanding of God's word. Because let's face it, it's a challenge to understand God's word today. You know, we, we're talking about 2000 years between uh, Jesus and now, you know, what the New Testament had to say uh, and now is about 2000 years ago, you know, and then if you want to go back even to the Old Testament, you're talking about a, a whole lot more time. So time has a way of of allowing things to get compromised and reinvented and redefined. Uh, so it, it, it can get very easy going down the wrong path, trying to understand the Bible today. So you have to try to do your best by interpreting scripture by scripture, allowing the Bible to define itself. And I, I believe when I study the King James version, I'm able to do a good job of that. So, um, today's topic is going to be why Christian marriages fail today. Why Christian marriages fail today. Okay, before we jump into today's discussion, I always like to start the show with offering you, my listeners, an invitation to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. About 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to the earth with a primary goal in mind, and that was to redeem man back to God. For man was lost in his sins and was separated from God. So Jesus set out to fix that. And he came through a virgin woman named Mary. He came through the door and Joseph and Mary raised Jesus as a child. And by the time Jesus was 30 years old, he started his ministry and he went throughout the region roundabout doing all sorts of wonderful and amazing, miraculous things, real miracles. You know, a lot of the, that, that's another pet peeve of mine, how people today want to call everything a miracle. And it's not a miracle. You know, it's very natural and very doable. You know, everything is not a miracle. Jesus did real miracles. He he healed sick folks on the spot, you know, with with a touch and with the word. He changed people's lives, uh, open blinded eyes, open deaf ears. You know, Jesus took two fish and five loaves of bread and fed 5,000 people. He multiplied that fish so that it would feed 5,000 people plus women and children. 
I think they said that turtle totaled to about 15,000 people. Uh, miracles, real miracles. He walked on the water, uh, raised dead people. He did all sorts of things. And he gained a popular following because of it. And then that ruffled a lot of people's feathers, especially many different churches back then, many different Jewish uh, synagogues started losing memberships and therefore started losing ties and offering. And they didn't like Jesus because of that. Okay. So um, they set out and to destroy Jesus, to have Jesus killed because they didn't like Jesus destroying their establishments in that way. So they lied on Jesus, had Jesus arrested and the Roman soldiers or the Roman police at that day arrested Jesus and mocked Jesus, handcuffed him, punched him, slapped him, spit on him, placed a crown of thorns on his head, blood running down his face. And then they knelt before Jesus and said, hail king of the Jews, mocking him, mocking him, making fun of him. And then they nailed his hands and feet to a cross, to a tree. And when he was thirsty and asked for water, they gave him vinegar to drink. And then he died on the cross. Now, what they don't realize what they had done was ushered Jesus into his main purpose to die for the sins of the world. John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 10 and nine, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Amen. Glory to God. Hopefully you have made the choice to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Uh, all you have to do is just do just that. Believe he died on the cross for your sins and accept him as your personal Lord and Savior. Just say, Jesus, I accept you as my personal Lord and Savior. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And just that quick in that moment, if you believe what you said, you are saved. It's that simple. And then from that time forward, begin to learn the ways and the commandments and the teachings of Jesus Christ and start living by those ways. And let me tell you, if you make that choice, if you make that decision, you have made the best number one decision you will ever make in your life. Amen. Glory to God. Hopefully you've done that. If you have good, great for you. Okay. Um, okay. Today's topic. Why? Christian marriages fail today. Why Christian marriages fail today? I'm going to talk about four uh, factors. I believe why Christian marriages fail today. You know, and I believe that uh, the first two of them that I'm going to talk about, actually the, the first one that I'm going to talk about is enough to cause Christian marriages to fail today. Okay. Because uh, actually the first two has to deal with sin. OK, and then the other two has to deal with wisdom and you know, wisdom can carry us a long way. But the first two has to do with sin. And then the, the second has to do with wisdom. OK, why Christian marriages fail today? You know, we see uh, a lot of times on television and you're going to hear me reference television a lot. You know, I don't I don't believe people respect the power uh the the brainwashing power of TV. You know, we we watch TV 2 3 4 hours a day easy and we don't realize 
how much subliminal messaging is in, is all throughout television. Uh, that's Satan's number one tool. People is his number. It is his number one tool. You know, the Bible in Revelations chapter 13 calls the Satan, the deceiver of the world. And it talks about how uh, he was able to give life to the image of the beast. And I believe it's talking about television, television or the, the principles and the way television works. If, if nothing else, you know, how can you reach millions of people in a matter of 15 seconds, 30 seconds in a matter of an hour television? You know, Super Bowl Sunday, the, 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 the Super Bowl generates the most viewing audience, you know, uh, every year, you know, during that three and a half hours. And so the commercials, they have to pay this huge fee to air commercial because uh, the, the television companies understand that these commercials can reach millions of people. In 15 seconds with their products. So we're going to charge them a higher rate. So Satan understands this too. And he uses television to further his agenda of deception. Okay. And to send uh, the people of God down the wrong path. And that that has been so effective for him. And I, and I want you not to take this for granted. Okay. Because it is, it is a real effective tool of Satan. Okay. So... <clears throat> Television has a way of making this one gesture look innocent, wholesome, sweet, lovely, you know, wonderful. And that is the marriage proposal when a man gets down on one knee before a woman. Where in the world did that practice come from? Tradition, culture. And television has jumped on it and sold it to us. We see so many walks of life, so many cultures, so many races of people practicing this, where a man gets down on one knee before a woman and asked her to marry him. Wow. Let me say that again. Wow. You know, in the Old Testament, Israel fell into idolatry time and time and time again. And I believe it was snuck in in this very same way. Something innocent, seemingly innocent, something seemingly uh, not that big of a deal. You know, I was just tradition. It's just culture. You know, you know, let us practice these traditions and these cultures, too. And it was a conflict. You know, and it led Israel into idolatry. You know, let me let me read to you uh, a verse of scripture that God had said to the prophet Elijah. You know, he's talking about bowing down the knee. In First Kings chapter nineteen, you know, God makes a point to the prophet, and he tells the prophet, he says in verse eighteen of chapter nineteen of First Kings, he said, yet. I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal. See, Israel has slipped into a form of idolatry that offended God, okay? And Israel was starting to bow the knee before this statue of Baal 
because these neighboring countries had convinced Israel that it wasn't a big deal and it would it would bring peace between the two nations and so forth and so on. So Israel fell for it and began to bow before the statue, bow the knee before Baal. And God got offended by it. Okay. And uh, that was a shame. And this is what you're seeing today. You're seeing men bowing before women. Now, hey, let me be the first to tell you, I believe women are wonderful. You know, women can be so beautiful and their feminine touch and women can be so sexy and, and all of these wonderful things have this wonderful smell about them, beautiful hair, beautiful eyes. But hey, at the end of the day, she is the creation, not the creator. Okay. And it, it, it offends God when we bow before something or someone. Okay. We are to worship the creator, not the creation. Okay. Now it's something, let me want to make this point. And it's something when people, and when you look at Old Testament Israel, they would fall for these tricks of idolatry, you know, and they would find themselves bowing before Baal and before their, these neighboring countries, their gods, and, and getting caught up in idolatry, okay? And the Bible even called it sometimes witchcraft, okay? And what God would do to punish them is the very people that they entered into uh, idol worship with, God would allow those very people to rule and reign over them. And then Israel will find themselves in captivity to these neighbor neighboring countries and being servants to these neighboring countries and, and losing their wealth and their independence to these neighboring countries and so forth and so on. Ain't that funny? Ain't that funny? And, and we see a form of that today, people, people of God. A man will bow down before a woman on one knee and propose to her in the church, you know, and, and, and what should happen, you know, when a man proposed to a woman in church during service and the church would go, oh, ain't that sweet. And, and then if she say yes, the standing ovation and ah, no, you know, the pastor should put a stop to it. That's what the pastor should do. But the pastor don't want to ruffle no feathers, so he keeps silent or or he's probably ignorant to what's going on, too. But ain't that funny? You know, a man can bow down before a woman and propose to her and she say yes, and they get married. And then later on, they found they, they, they find themselves in divorce court. OK, now watch this. And she ends up taking half of his stuff or more. And then she ends up having him pay alimony, okay, and child support. And she gives his children to another man, uh, basically, okay. And, and, and ain't that the same kind of thing God is allowing happen? The very person you bow down to one knee with before. Now you are, you have become basically impoverished and enslaved and a servant to her because now you lost your wealth to her. You're paying alimony and child support to her. You're getting your, your checks garnished and they're taking out her per, her portion first. <laughs> it's just like Old Testament times, you know, once again, you know, because it ought not be people. 
It ought not be. This is a trick of the devil. It is not intended for the people of God to practice this. This is a form of idolatry. Let me give you one more scripture. Let me give you one more scripture. In Revelations chapter 19, uh, throughout the book of Revelations, John has been given visions and, and different angels and Jesus even at one time would speak with John and give John these visions and tell John about these visions. And, and John would, would be overcome, you know, sometimes with emotion and he would fall down and worship. And, you know, he did it before Jesus. That's fine. But in Revelations chapter 19, he did it before an angel. And uh, let me, let's read Revelations chapter 19. This one verse here. And I want you to see what this angel said to John for, for falling down before him in worship. Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. And after he had, um, you know, received this vision, he said, he said, and I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, see thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This angel said, don't bow down and worship and fall before me. You know, I'm your fellow servant. You know, this, this angel did not want no part of it. You know, that's how women ought to be when these men get down on one knee. Uh-uh, don't bow down before me. I don't want no part of that. I don't, I'm not, God, I'm not Jesus. Don't bow down before me. Okay. Uh, but <clears throat> this angel wanted no part of it. And he said, don't do that. Okay. And uh, some people go, some people teach that this was one of the disciples. Uh, Cause he said, for I am thy fellow servant and thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus Christ. This was more likely one of the disciples in the angel form that, uh, was a part of Jesus's ministry for those three and a half years before the cross. And um, so that's why he was saying, I had the testimony of Jesus Christ too. I was there just like you was when Jesus was doing all these wonderful things for three and a half years. So, um, <clears throat> but the point of the matter is we are to bow down before Jesus and God only. That's it. We're not supposed to bow down before a statue. We're not supposed to bow down before a man. We're not supposed to bow down before woman, children, no one but God, the Godhead. And, um, you know, uh, that's why Daniel was thrown in the lion's den because he wouldn't bow down. That's why Shadrach and the Meshach was thrown in the fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow down. We have to understand this. This is not a small thing. This is idolatry. and television commercials and you know we can see a coca-cola commercial or a mcdonald's commercial where a man gets down on one knee and proposes you know and and they selling us this idea of making it look innocent and sweet but this is a trick of the devil people don't fall for it okay that's one reason why christian marriages fail today because we walk in this tradition we have allowed outside culture to come into our Christian life. And that's not good. Okay. 
Now, let's go on to the second reason why Christian marriages fail today. Marriage vows. Marriage vows. Uh, We have been taught in the church. We have been taught in the church that marriage vows are sacred and holy before God. You know, preachers will stand up on the pulpit and say that over and over and over across country. Uh, many different denominations say the same thing. Marriage vows are sacred and holy before God. And when, when, when somebody in the church decides to get married and the pastor's quick to lead them down the road of marriage vows. Okay. Now I want to read a passage of scripture to you that I believe teaches against marriage vows. Uh, Keep in mind, people of God, that marriage vows do not appear in the Bible. Genesis to Revelation, we see no example of marriage vows. Now, let me tell you what Jesus teaches about vowing, period. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to read verse... 33 to 37. Okay. And again, ye have heard that it had been said by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shall perform unto the Lord thine oath. Okay. So for forswearing thyself and oaths and vows, they all one and the same. You see that in the book of Numbers, uh, where it talks about vowing, swearing. Uh, you know, it, it, it mentions, mentions it as one in the same. And he says, so Jesus says, but I say unto you, Jesus is letting you know he is the new authority on the scene. Moses had his time. Moses had his day. Now Jesus is on the scene and Jesus is establishing the New Testament and his order and his law, his commandments. He says, but I say unto you, swear not at all. Okay. Now, ain't that what marriage vows do? It has you making promises about this marriage that you're entering into from that day forward, going into the future. Okay. He says, but I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great kings. Neither shall thou swear by thy head, because thou cannot make one hair white or black. Okay, you can't change the future. You can't make one hair white or black. Verse 37. But let your communication be yea, yea, and nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh, cometh of evil are the evil one or Satan. Okay. Wow. So we have no example of marriage vows throughout all the Bible. Jesus tells us don't swear at all. Only say yes and no about the immediate time you are in. Anything said above that, the future, you are inviting the devil into your situation. He says he commands us not to do it. It is a commandment. It is not a suggestion, okay? It is not an opinion. 
It's not a situation where you can take it or leave it. It is a commandment. In the Old Testament, I believe it is the book of Judges. This man made a vow to God that the first person that comes out of his house, he will sacrifice that that animal or that person to the Lord. If the Lord gives him victory in this battle, he's about to enter into. Okay. And guess what? The first thing that came out of the house, his daughter, his daughter, his virgin daughter, he won the war. So he had to sacrifice his daughter unto the Lord. I believe it was this kind of bad vowing that Jesus did not want us to partake in anymore. A lot of times we get caught up in the moment and we make a bunch of promises that we can't keep. You know, I will only have eyes for you and I will forsake all others for you. You know, that sounds wonderful and great to say, but the truth of the matter is over time, those things kind of fall by the wayside. Okay. So I believe Jesus wanted to protect us from this kind of activity, making promises we can't keep. And so he commanded us not to do it anymore. And he says, when you do it, the evil, evil comes or the evil one comes. Some people not only say marriage vows, but after five, 10 years, they renew their vows. So what they are doing is renewing the evil. Okay. Trying to fix their stagnant marriage or their unprofitable marriage. They, they renew the vows and they don't know. They just give Satan another dose of what he needs to keep them going down the same path they're going. Okay. That's a, that's pretty messed up. And this is where I get frustrated with church. Uh, A lot of churches don't see this. A lot of churches don't address this. Uh, A lot of times churches want to allow people's traditions and their culture to remain because it is important to them. And rather than uh, challenge that, they'll just allow people to go down that same path, whether it offends God or not. And this is a commandment of Christ. He says, don't do it. Let me read another passage of scripture. What Jesus had to say about tradition and culture. And um, it's Matthew chapter 15, verse three. He, He says, but he answered and said unto them, why do ye also transgress the commandments of God? By your tradition. Okay. God does not like our culture and our tradition to compromise his word. You know, he is first. He is primary. He is uno number one. That's what it means to be Christian. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. So when we say we are a Christian, we have to put God's word into this position of number one. And that means everything else takes secondary place after the word of God. So Jesus says, don't forswear yourself. Let your communication be yay, yay, nay, nay. And uh, don't make promises and don't make vows and don't swear and don't put yourself in that kind of position. That means when it comes to your wedding, that means when it comes to child dedication, you know, how many parents stand up there before the church and promise to 
guide their child in the ways of the Lord and, and, and they don't do it. You know, don't try to over holify uh, your Christian life with a bunch of promises. You know, I can't say it no more plainly than that. You know, Jesus don't want us to do it, so don't do it. Just take it one day at a time. Take it one day at a time. You know, what I believe uh, ministers should do when they are conducting and, and, and doing a marriage ceremony, what they ought to do <clears throat> is give a 10-minute sermon on marriage and what marriage is, what marriage means to God, and the role of the husband and the role of the wife. 10 minutes. And then after he finishes, he asks the man, do you agree? And then let him say, I do. Ask the woman, does she agree? And let her say, I do. Okay, by the power invested in me, I now pronounce you husband and wife. Okay, make it simple. Now you haven't offended God. You, you have done things according to the word of God. You haven't led the husband and the wife down the path of vow making, as Jesus commands us not to do. And you give that couple a very good chance now because you haven't allowed Satan in because they made a bunch of promises and vows and for swear for swearing themselves. Okay. As the Bible puts it. So we got to use wisdom. People, we got to make God's word priority and we have to make adjustments to our, to our culture, to our traditions, to our customs, so that we won't offend God so we can be right with God. Because at the end of the day, that's the number one priority, right? Um, so Jesus goes on to say in this passage in Matthew chapter five, uh, starting at verse three, you go down to um, verse six. And he says, um, he says, thus ye have made the commandment of God of none effect by your traditions. He is letting you know your traditions can squeeze out the power of God in your life. If those traditions compromise or go against the commandments of Jesus. That's right. That's right. And so I believe marriages, you know, are starting off on the wrong two feet with men kneeling before women and then at the wedding, men, men and women saying marriage vows, you know, those are two problems right there. And I believe either one of them, you know, are enough to cause the marriage to fail down the road because they started it out on the wrong foot in sin and uh, contrary to the word of God. It's just that simple. Okay. Um. Matthew chapter 15, uh, Jesus goes on and adds to this, how you have made the word of God of none effect with your tradition. Uh, starting in verse seven, Matthew chapter 15, verse seven, he says, ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah say, the prophet say of you, he says, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and heareth me with their, and honoreth me, excuse me, with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Jesus says, yeah, these people, you can talk a good talk in church, okay? 
Yeah, I love the Lord. Oh, I love the Lord so much. Oh, Lord is good. Oh, I'm going to serve him to the day I die. You can say all these wonderful, great things. But at the end of the day, are you really doing it? No. You know, he said, Isaiah, the prophet prophesied this. He said, you honor me with your mouth. He says, but your hearts are far from me. Okay. So, I mean, that's, that's terrible. That's terrible. I mean, I can't say it no plain than that. You know, we got to quit playing around with the word of God. We got to get it right. As long as we want to keep compromising and, and keep, you know, taking the word of God lightly, you're giving place to the devil. It's just that simple. You're giving ample place to the devil and the devil loves it. He's going to take it. He's going to wreck your family. He's going to wreck your home and he's going to set you back. You know, and some people never recover. Some people give up on God. Some people never recover and they don't realize that they went down this path ignorantly. Thanks to a lot of times the church, they went down this path ignorantly. So, you know, this is this is uh, primarily why I do this broadcast every week. You know, I want to provoke the body of Christ, people of God, the saints to reconsider a lot of stuff that they practice, a lot of stuff that is taught in the church, a lot of stuff that, is, that, that we do in the name of the Lord when it has nothing to do with the Lord, when it has nothing to do with Christ and his teaching. We have to get back to the basics, you know, you know, you start, you start squeezing in tradition and culture and you'll push out truth. You'll push out truth. And it, and a lot of times you will allow deception to set in. And then people think the things that are not of God are God and be going down this wrong path the rest of their entire life, never repenting, never getting it right. So like I said, that's why I do this ministry because I want to challenge my listeners so that when they are at Bible study, when they are at Sunday school and they have a chance to ask questions and and, and uh, you know, put their input in. They can say, hey, I heard this guy on the radio say this, that, and other thing. What do you think about that? You know, and it could start a, a much needed discussion. Believe me, you. Okay. So we covered the two sins of why I believe Christian marriages fail today. I mean, right from the start, we are seeing them getting started out on the wrong foot, even in our churches. We know the world is going to do worldly things. We know the world is going to not live by the word of God. That's why they're the world. And so the world is going to fail at this. You know, the world, a lot of times, take it to a whole nother level of failure. You know, you see in uh, spouses plotting to murder one another and stuff. I mean, I... I know you don't see that in the church. Oh, well, I better, I better take that back. But we got to get it right, church. We got to get it right. Okay, let's move on to number three. Number three, why Christian marriages fail today. Um, now, I said earlier, the first two has to do with sin. And I have four points I wanted to talk about. The first two has to do with sin. The last two has to do with wisdom. 
wisdom. Them, them, I'm telling you up front, this, these two are not a matter of sin. It's a matter of wisdom, order. A lot of times wisdom can take you a long way. You learn how to do something right. It could carry you a long way. You know, two people can be doing the same thing. And one could be doing it smart and one could be doing it not so smart. And one is doing it smart and can take it a long way. You know, that's just the power of wisdom. Good wisdom, good understanding, order. You know, it, it, you can't say enough about that. Okay. So these two has to do with wisdom. And I want to talk about the wedding ring, the wedding ring. Now, let me begin by saying the wedding ring doesn't appear in the Bible, okay? But the wedding ring is the symbol for marriage, the symbol for marriage, okay? So, in the Bible, we have a symbol for marriage, and that was the veil, the veil. In the Bible, only the women wore the veil, not the men, only the women, uh, I'm reminded of the story in the book of Genesis when uh, Isaac was about to meet Rebecca for the first time and she was on Campbellback, horseback, something. And she was with uh, Isaac's servant. And when she saw Isaac in the distance, she asked the servant, is this to be my Lord, my husband? And he said, yes. And so she put a covering on her head. Okay, the symbol of marriage, the symbol that I am spoken for. I am covered by a man. That's what that was, the symbol of marriage. Okay, so of course, over time, the symbol of marriage has been replaced by the wedding ring. Now, I'm not here to challenge that. It is what it is. Okay, it's, I think uh, the hairdressing is much more effective because it was it was designed to um, combat the um, the lust in the man's heart. You know, um, like when Jesus was talking about when you have lusted in your heart after her, you have committed adultery already. And um, so you you have to understand. <clears throat> so when women were out and about whatever women did back then, you know, at the well, drawing water or at the marketplace, you know, buying and selling or whatever. <clears throat> a man could see from a distance which women were married and which women were not married. Women that had their head covered were married. Women that didn't have their head covered were available. Okay. So that's why I say the head covering was more effective in that way. You know, a lot of times today, a man can approach a woman because he sees from a distance. She looks really, really nice. She looks pretty. She looks sexy. She's this, that. And and by the time he goes up to her and starts a conversation, you know, about three or four words into it, then she turns a certain way. And then he sees her ring. You see what I'm saying? So, you know, that could be a problem. That could be a problem. Um, But. The head covering, it eliminates that. So that's why I say that it's more effective, but I'm not here to challenge that. It is what it is. Today, the symbol of marriage is the wedding ring. But what I am here to challenge is the wisdom of the wedding ring being wore 
being worn by men. Men wear wedding rings today. Now, I want to, to look to a passage of scripture. OK, first Corinthians chapter 11. And I want to read to you what the Apostle Paul has to say about the symbol of marriage, the head covering. And we can convert that over to the wedding ring in wisdom. First uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse three. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. Watch this verse for every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head, which is Jesus. So Paul is saying here, man, when you pray to prophesy, you don't have nothing on your head. You know, you you honor Jesus that way. You don't you don't have nothing on your head. And in verse five, he says, but and he's letting you know now it's a different standard for women. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. He says if she is up there praying or prophesying and she doesn't have her head covering on, that's dishonoring her husband. She might as well be bald, he's saying. Okay, so he is letting us know. That the, even in the New Testament, the purpose of the symbol of marriage remains the same. It is for the woman, not for the man. Okay, but once again, in today's culture, it's for both, right? The man and the woman wear the wedding ring. The man and the woman. Um, Paul wants us to understand that there is wisdom in order. In the keeping of order, order, Satan loves confusion. God loves order. And this order needs to be kept is what he is letting us know here. And uh, Satan would have us to blur the lines of order as much as possible, as much as possible. Um, today, women, you would see women, you'd be at the mall and you see a couple Walking the one, the woman would have her side of her head shaved. Okay, uh, both the man and the woman would be wearing a ring. Both of them will have on pants, and the man will have extensions in his hair. I mean, my goodness! I mean, he just got it all backwards. The man is wearing extensions. The woman has her head shaved on the side. Both of them wear, and then they wonder why there's arguing all the time. You, they can't see eye to eye. They, you know, you can't have a vote because it's just two of you. Okay. I vote. I vote. Yes. You vote. No. Okay. Now what we going to do, you know, what gives, you know, there's no order no more. And these same principles find their, their way into the church. You know, all of this confusion, all of this chaos, no order. You know, uh, it, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And so order must be kept. It is necessary for us to understand this. There needs to be this establishment, this symbolic establishment of order in that the woman wear the ring and the man don't. Just that, that simple adjustment alone that helps establish a setting for the marriage, an understanding 
for the marriage, a reminder that the man is the head. But if they both wear the pants or they both got extensions in the hair or one of them or the, or the, or the woman's head is shaved and the man got extent, you know, it's, it's confusion. It's confusion all day and all night. We got to get it right. We got to get it right. You know, these are some really important factors here that I'm trying to bring to the table today. Okay. And, um, it's unfortunate to me that the church don't feel the same. You know, you, you say you love people. You say you want to help hurting people. You say you want to win souls to Christ. You say you want to strengthen the church. You, you know, you say all of these wonderful things, but then when you get down to doctrine and when you get down to the word of God, there's one compromise after another, after another, after another. And how do you expect the, the power of God to be there? How do you expect it to be there if there's this compromise and that compromise and this tradition and this culture and, 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 and the word of God has been pushed out and you got part of the word of God and some of the word of God is left out and hidden and buried. And you think God is going to bless and empower and strengthen and work in that kind of environment? I troll not. I don't think so. I don't think so. <clears throat> Once again, that's why I do this. You know, I wanted to, I want to challenge the church. I want to challenge the body of Christ. I want us to do better. I want us to win against Satan. I hate seeing what Satan is able to accomplish in the church, in the lives of people, hurting people. Because because uh, our leaders refuse to teach the truth, you know, teach the truth, take a stand. You know, forget tithes and offerings for a minute. You know, forget your membership numbers for a minute and just teach the truth. You know, let everything else work itself out. My goodness. <clears throat> OK. We covered three of the four. The proposal, men getting down on one knee, that's a form of idolatry. It's not sweet. It's not innocent. Marriage vows. Jesus says, swear not at all. He says, don't do it. And if he says, and Jesus says, if you do it, evil comes. Okay. <clears throat> um, the wedding ring, the symbol of marriage. The Bible shows us repeatedly that the symbol of marriage is for women, not for men. Order needs to be kept. Okay. The fourth thing I have, and I have touched, uh, touched on this before, talked about this before, uh, probably not too long ago, three or four weeks maybe. But this is a wisdom principle. This is not a commandment. This is not a commandment of Jesus. This is a wisdom principle that I want to point out. It's a trick of the devil to get husbands and wives to get on each other's last nerve to get tired of one another. Okay. And that is the standard that husbands and wives must sleep in the same bed every night. That's the key part. Every night, you know, we go, we grew up watching television and, you know, we watched, um, 
happy days when when uh <clears throat> the the parents you know retired at night to the same bed and and uh we watched uh the Cosby show where Bill and uh Claire retired to the same bed and Roseanne where Roseanne and her husband retired to the same bed and you know so television had a way of shaping that standard into our culture making us feel like that is a standard of marriage where husbands and wives must sleep in the same bed every night, every night. Now that, now to me, that is a trick of the devil to get you to get on each other's last nerve. That's right. Last nerve. You know, let me tell you, I love pizza. You know, you give me a nice thin crust, extra pepperoni, Cheesy pizza, greasy, cheesy pizza. And I love it. I could probably eat that, eat off that pizza for three days and love it from day one to day three. But I probably wouldn't want to do that six days straight, seven days straight. You know, as much as I love it, I'm going to get tired of it after a while. That's just the bottom line. If I, if I push it and keep doing it every day, I'm going to get tired of it after a while. As much as I love it. And that is the intentions of the, of the devil with this standard. Now, to stay with me, I got Bible scripture here. I got Bible scripture to point this out. But he wants married people to view something as simple as going to bed as a task, as a chore. You know, oh man, every night now I got to take a shower before I go to bed. I got to make sure my breath is fresh. I got to gargle with Listerine. Um, oh man, if I got gas, I got to take gas X pills so I won't be passing gas at night. You know, so now going to bed becomes this challenge, this, this responsibility, just going to bed every night. And then you view your partner, you know, as, as a, as a stressful point, as a stressful point in your life, your partner, your, your, your spouse, your husband, your wife, um, and that's the trick of the devil. Um, so let me wrap this up right quick. In Genesis chapter 24, the Bible tells us at the end of the chapter that Isaac took Rebecca into Sarah, his mother's, his dead mother's tent, and she became his wife in there. Okay. Now, I've touched on this verse of scripture before because it shows us what marriage is. Marriage is sex and commitment between a man and a woman. That's, that's what marriage is since, since day one. So, but that's not what I want to focus on now. What I want to focus on is he took her, the Bible says, into Sarah's tent. Sarah had died and passed away, but Sarah had her own tent. Abraham had his tent. Sarah had her tent. And when it was time for them to come together, I'm sure they came together. That wasn't the problem. But give each other some space, people. Give each other some space. Sometimes you just need to be able to just go to bed. You need to be able to lay down, have your own thoughts, have your own body smell, have your own space. You need to be able to let it rip if you need to let it rip. You need to be able to have your time of the month, if it's that time of the month, without feeling awkward. You need to have your own 
space. You need to be able to recharge in that kind of way. So we see this with Abraham and Sarah. They had their own tent. And I'm pretty sure that tent became Rebecca's tent later. And Isaac had his own tent. Also, the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon, chapter five, starting at the second verse, the Bible teaches us that Solomon went to his beloved's room. That's right. He said, let me in, my sweet. Let's go there right quick. Song of Solomon. uh, Chapter five, verse two, he said, I sleep, but my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. My head is filled with dew and my locks with the drop of the night. In other words, I'm horny. Open up to me. Open up to me, my love. She had her own room, people. His wife had her own room. People need to have their own space. They need to be able to recharge. Now, I'm not saying you can't sleep in the same bed. Or, uh, you can't sleep in the same bed, but just give each other space from time to time. Don't allow the enemy to make you think you have to do it every night or your marriage is dysfunctional. Because that's how a lot of people feel. You're supposed to sleep in the same bed every night if you're married. No, you don't have to. And it's not a big deal if you don't. Give each other some space. Absence make the heart grow fonder. I believe there's some truth in that, even though that's not a Bible scripture. I believe it's truth and they give each other some space and you can preserve your relationship in a much more healthier way. Just like that, with that wisdom principle alone, learn how to give each other some space. Okay. If you give each other some space and y'all got your own room or, or he decides to sleep on the couch, you know, a couple of nights out of the week, or she decides to sleep on the couch a couple of nights, it's not a big deal. Sometimes you just need your own space. You need me time. It's needed. Okay. Okay. So that's, that's the end of um, this topic. Why Christian marriages fail today. I covered four points. I felt like needed to be brought to the table. Uh, the marriage proposal, men getting down on one knee, marriage vows. They should not be said according to uh, Jesus's commandment of swearing out at all. Uh, the wedding ring, how the, the the wedding ring is the symbol of marriage that the Bible does show us and teach that the symbol of marriage is for women only and it helps establish order in the relationship. OK. And then sleeping in the same bed every night. The key word is the key two words is every night. Don't let this don't let the devil don't let TV trick you into thinking that your marriage is dysfunctional if y'all need to sleep in different rooms and different beds from time to time. It's natural. It's normal. It's needed. You know, we saw that in scripture. Okay. Hopefully you have enjoyed today's uh, topic, why Christian marriages fail today. Hopefully you have found it to be informative, uh, helpful, beneficial to your life. Hopefully it has provoked you to rethink a lot of things that you have uh, thought you knew. Uh, hopefully it will provoke you to bring some of this stuff up at Bible study and in Sunday school when the topic comes up. Uh, let's face it, people. You know, marriage is a major problem today. It's a major problem in the church. 
And so we do re, we do need to revisit what it is we think we know. Okay, I'm about out of time. Uh, you can uh, contact me on thiefinthenightministries.com. That's thiefinthenightministries.com. There I have a contact us link. If you click on that, you can post a question or comment. I would love to hear from you. That's thiefinthenightministries.com. Okay, once again, I'm your host, Tim Aaron. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, this is every Saturday at 5 p.m. Central Time on Resilient Christian Radio Network. That's Resilient Christian Radio Network. Okay, thank you once again. My sisters and brothers, I hope above all things that you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prosper. God bless. Take care. Peace. Thank you for listening to the show. We hope that you were blessed by the message from the Word of God. Come back next time for more of Get Your House in Order. I said one last morning, when this life is over, I'm going to fly away. I'm leaving this cold world, going up yonder to that holy place. I'm going to sit down, talk with Peter, sit down, talk with Paul. And I'm going to say, take me to Jesus, the one who really paid it all for me this world. Get Your House in Order is copyrighted by Thief in the Night Ministries and the Resilient Christian Radio Network.